Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technologies, ATRA, Sustainable Agriculture Program, with support from the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service. Hi, I'm Heather Lingle with NCAT. Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we hear from Tammy Howard, Agriculture Specialist at NCAT's Rocky Mountain West office in Butte, Montana, and David Wise, Certified Produce Safety Trainer and Consultant. They talk about a new tool to help farmers navigate the complicated food safety regulatory environment. The Farmer Regulatory Toolkit helps farmers understand the different regulations that might apply to them based on their size and markets. It also provides an additional function to do a quick food safety self-assessment. This innovative tool will create a document that can be used to present to buyers or any markets that may be requiring food safety standards on the part of the farmer. Let's listen. Hi, this is Tammy Howard, and I am a Sustainable Agriculture Specialist with the National Center for Appropriate Technology. And I work with farmers on a range of topics from uh, beginning farmer business planning to um, food safety. And today we have David Wise with us. He is a consultant on produce safety and a certified produce safety trainer with the Produce Safety Alliance. He works with growers throughout the Northwest to help them get up to speed with their food safety plans and um, practices. So, David, can you tell us and our listeners a bit about yourself and how you ended up being the go-to guy for farm-based food safety information in Montana? Sure. Thanks for having me. I have a background in farming in Montana, all over western Montana with a number of different farms. And then a friend and I started a value-added produce product company. So I had some experience with um, on-farm food safety as well as value-added and processing food. And from there, I just ended up uh, having people ask me what I knew and what I could help them understand as far as regulations, and then worked with the Mission Mountain Food Enterprise Center to continue to gain training and provide that information to farmers through trainings and also on-farm visits and on-farm workshops. Great. Well, um, since the topic of this podcast is on food safety, why don't we take some time to review the Food Safety Modernization Act and its timeline for implementation. A lot of farmers are um, still a little bit worried about what that means for them. And um, can you take a little bit of time to explain that? Absolutely. So the FDA originally proposed a rule, I believe it was back in 2011, and that rule had some time for public comment. The FDA received a lot of comments, and then it was finalized more recently. And there are certain dates that apply to different producers or operators, depending on what they're doing. The rule is broken into seven sections. So what we'll mostly be talking about today is the produce safety, which is part 112. And the way they broke that up was based on your sales, and that's an average over the past three years. So for produce safety, very small businesses, small businesses, and then other businesses um, are how they're considering the size of the businesses. So 25,000 but not more than 250,000 is a very small business, and a small business is uh, classified as uh, 250 to 500,000. 
And moose farms, when they hear these numbers, they think, well, that doesn't sound very small and not that much. But this is just how they've chosen the designations. And then other businesses are considered over the $500,000 in sales. And those numbers are adjusted for inflation, so they've changed a bit. But that's, that's the approximation. And then as far as compliance dates, those are based on which of those three categories you fall into. And I won't go into every single one of them, but some of the major things are for sprouts. Um, they're a bit ahead of the curve because there's been more uh, outbreaks and there's a little bit more concerns with growing sprouts. And then there's some pretty um, significant outbreaks that have been associated with water. So the water compliance dates, there's actually been some wiggle room where they've, pressed, they've pushed those back for people so they can get a better, better understanding of how they want to implement regulations around water. Um, but let me just look, look at those so I can give you the sense of that. So for very small businesses, uh, covered activities involving covered produce, and those are, are defined terms which we could talk about, but involving covered produce, um, the, the water requirements are January 26, 2024. So there's still quite a bit of time for people to figure that out and develop a water profile if they need to. For small businesses, the water requirement is January 26, 2023. And then for other businesses, so again, over 500,000, uh, the water requirement is January 26, 2022. Now, it sounds like that's everything in the future, but some of the things will be implemented sooner. Some of the inspections will happen sooner. Uh, Montana Department of Agriculture has worked with the FDA so that the Department of Agriculture is able to do the inspections, and they'll start with the larger farms. If, if a farm is exempt, which we can talk about in a second, um, there won't necessarily be an inspection. But if a farm has to comply with a the rule, then they, they will have a visit most likely from a Department of Agriculture employee. Um, the first visit is really meant to be educational. It's not meant to be something that's checking in and seeing how you're doing and, and trying to penalize. So eventually there is a potential for people to have someone coming out to their farm because of this rule, but um, it's, it's likely gonna be in the future and it is again educational. Why don't um, I, I heard you use um, the term FDA a little bit? So uh, the FDA is the Food and Drug Administration, correct? And um, yes. Let me just take a little bit of time to um, people are a little confused why the FDA is administering this instead of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. But could you spend just a few minutes explaining that? Sure. So the U.S. Department of Agriculture has had um, their own food safety system that's been sort of an industry standard. Um, the, the, the microbial uh, reduction in, in food safety hazards was initially under the, the USDA. It was a recommendation put out the, by the USDA and has since sort of transferred to the FDA as far as um, looking at food that, has, that is adulterated. They have this sort of overreaching rule in their regulations that says you can't sell mislabeled or adulterated food. And so as a result of some of the recent outbreaks in the past years, the FDA has basically come forward and said, let's set regulations that are a baseline for food safety on farms to sort of address what we're seeing as far as outbreaks. And through that, they've created this new rule and the USDA and the FDA are sort of working together to make sure that they're both on, on the same terms as far as what they're asking for for food safety. But the FDA is a little bit more recent uh, as far as putting out rules, uh, regulating food safety, but just trying to address those outbreaks. Great. Thanks for that clarification. Um, and so where do you think farmers in Montana 
fall in terms of exemptions and compliance requirements? Yeah, so most of them are what will fall into what is called a qualified exemption. So if you have under $25,000 in sales, you're what's called de minimis exempt. You just basically don't have enough sales to worry about as far as um, having a large spread sickness if you have something wrong with the food. So the next level, and this is different, which is a little bit confusing, but this is different than those three categories I mentioned earlier. Um, but for qualified exemption, the definition is you have less than 500000 in annual gross sales adjusted for inflation, like I mentioned, over the past three-year period, and you sell a majority of the food directly to a qualified end user. And a qualified end user is a consumer, a restaurant, or a retail food establishment, um, like a grocery store, that is located in the same state or, uh, excuse me, as a, in the same state as the farm or not more than 275 miles from the farm. And the idea there is that there's some wiggle room that was put in for smaller farms, and this was actually uh, Senator Chester from Montana and another senator who said, we need to have this room for smaller productions to be able to continue to sell, even if they can't comply with the, with the new FDA rules. And the thinking there is that if you're small enough, you won't necessarily make as many people sick. It won't be as widespread. Obviously, any sickness isn't ideal, but there's some ability to have people exempt. Uh, and, and most people in Montana will fall into that category. And the requirements for that are quite reduced. The, the only requirements, if you are qualified exempt, is you have to have uh, appropriate labeling. So that means um, you need to have a, a way of contacting you as the farmer at your point of sale. And that could be you know, a P.O. box or a phone number at the farmer's market. You don't have to give it to everyone. But it just has to be visible at your point of sale or on an invoice if you're selling it to uh, someone else who's, who you're giving an invoice to directly. Well, great. And I understand that um, you have developed a, a farmer regulatory toolkit um, to help farmers navigate produce food and food safety. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So we were getting um, questions from, from producers who are growing produce, uh, from people who are growing produce and wanted to make a value-added product like salsa, um, from producers who are selling to Cisco or Costco or Walmart, and they all had sort of different questions about what they were hearing from buyers, what sort of regulations they had to comply with, and they were just uncertain if they were kind of catching everything and making sure they had all the boxes checked. So the idea is to sort of take the local, state, federal, and even sometimes international regulations that are out there and put them into a format that growers, operators, um, value-added producers can use to understand what might apply to them, give them a little bit more information about each of those pieces of regulation so that they can decide yes or no, this does or doesn't apply to me, and then what am I doing to sort of meet those requirements. So uh, walk us through the toolkit and um, help us understand how it works. There's a, a couple of different tabs, and the listeners can access this toolkit at the ATRA food safety page. Yeah, so the way that it's set up, it's meant to give individuals working with produce and food sales in, in Montana a clear understanding of the regulatory framework that applies to them. And two documents essentially are created which can be used to communicate that understanding to their retail and wholesale customers. Uh, the, the two documents are an evaluation template, which is basically just the name we gave it, and the self-assessment. So the evaluation template, you answer questions about operations as well as reading more information about some of the rules that may apply to you. 
It's very clear. We, we try to make it very clear which may apply to you and which rules you have to make decisions about as far as if they apply. And then users indicate whether the rules do or do not apply and why they made that decision. And then if the, if the rule does apply, they are given a chance to describe how they comply with the rules. And that can be provided to a buyer. At the end, you have a list of all the rules that may apply and then your decision about whether or not they did and why and what you're doing to comply with them. And then the self-assessment, the reason we created that is some farms may go through the whole evaluation template and realize none of the major rules apply to them, which is, is you know, quite common potentially in Montana based on the size of growers and who they're selling to. And although the FDA has the rule which state they cannot sell mislabeled or adulterated food, which I mentioned, there are they're not really concrete steps towards compliance to anything. So this so the farm may find it beneficial to communicate their practices with the self assessment, which essentially lists food safety risks on farms and gives us gives users a chance to describe how they manage those risks. And the document can also be given to customers uh, to demonstrate steps they've taken towards food safety awareness and practices. So, and in, in terms of customers, um, that could be um, all different kinds of markets, like from anywhere from like a farmer's market customer to um, like an institution. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, I know that people have given that sort of information to farmer's market customers, farmer's market managers, um, cafeteria managers at schools, or hospital managers, uh, food managers, um, anyone who wants more information but isn't necessarily asking for compliance with a specific rule. That's a great way to, to use that. Great. And, you know, there are a lot of regulations that are outlined in this tool, especially in the evalu evaluation template. What about all of the regulations that are um, listed in this tool? It seems like it might be a little bit overwhelming for growers. So um, how, how can you help them navigate that? Sure, that's a great question. So the hope is this tool, um, with this tool, users can go through one topic at a time. And the key word there is, is topic, not, not regulation. And what that allows them to do is sort of just base their, their process working with this tool on, on their day-to-day -day operations. Um, so they answer one topic at a time about each rule associated with that topic based on their specific practices. So for example, a potato seed grower can answer questions about growing seed potatoes that are exported, and another question about asking, uh, that asks growers about growing produce in general. Growing produce and growing seed potatoes are obviously you know, are the same thing, but those two topics pertain to different rules. So a user won't have to figure out which rules may apply. Um, the tool will do that for them. And after they answer each question, they can generate a PDF with their answers that is organized then by the re regulations rather than the topic area. So long story short, they don't need to know anything about the rules. They just need to answer questions about what they do day to day. And that will essentially give them the, the printout of rules and understanding about the rules. It seems like producers are going to be entering a lot of their own personal information. Are any of these answers collected and given to somebody like um, the FDA who's um, doing the produce safety regulation? That's also a great question with technology these days. Um, we were, were pretty clear about how we built the website, and there's a privacy policy at the base of the page if people want to read more about this. but. None of the information is collected in any way, and we intentionally didn't put a spot for 
any personal information other than obviously th their practices, but there's no, no spot for the farm to put a name or an address or a phone number. They can certainly enter that or write that on themselves if they wish to. Um, but that way there's no identifying information and we want people to feel open about, about really entering answers that are truthful about what they're doing so that they can communicate their practices. Um, but there's no, no information stored, kept, or, or transmitted to the Department of Ag, FDA, USDA. It's, it's all just one-time use. That's great. I'm sure that helps a lot of producers um, set their mind at ease. <laughs> so um, what about the farmers that are exempt from the produce safety rule? Um, what do they need to think about? Right. There's, there's kind of three main things that, I, that come to mind. One, they need to think about their responsibility to other local growers. Even if you're small, um, and it, you know, if one family farm irrigates raw salad mix with surface water that contains E. coli, and people get sick, sales will obviously drop or discontinue completely for longer than most small family farms can sustain. Um, I bring up salad mix because it's such a high-value crop grown by most family farms, and it's one of the most vulnerable crops when it comes to contamination from irrigation water. Um, so that responsibility and just maintaining the trust in local food, I think, is, is a strong part of that. Um, number two, they need to keep in mind what I mentioned about the FDA rule pertaining to adulterated food. Um, we have a history now of criminal charges filed against farmers who were involved in a listeria outbreak. So even, every farm, no matter how small, does have a legal obligation on some level to produce safe food and to take steps that they can towards that. And then the third thing is, although many markets are accessible without food safety, some require food safety systems to be in place, even if it's not something as official as an audited system. Um, they, do want some, they, they do want to see something in place, and some require, uh, do actually require those audits for farms to even be considered as a potential seller to those buyers. So um, what if one of my markets is asking me to have some kind of food safety certification, for example, the, the good agricultural practices or the GAP certification. What does that mean and, and what should I do? So yeah, so GAP is good agricultural practices and it's slightly older uh, form of the USDA food systems um, that has been sort of the industry standard along with international and private food safety systems like Primus that some people might have heard of. USDA has redone their GAP system and is now moving towards something called Harmonized GAP, which incorporates elements of the FDA produce safety rule that we've just been talking about. The USDA system is often required by markets who are familiar and comfortable with that system. Uh, it is entirely voluntary at this point, so growers aren't legally required to do it. It's just up to them to either comply or not with what their buyer asks. Uh, and it does involve writing down a food safety plan, a third-party audit, which does involve some expense and other elements outside the scope of the FDA's produce rule. You mentioned that um, the FDA and um, the Harmonized GAP program are trying to um, be more um, similar. And I was just wondering if... Um, how how dissimilar are they? And um, if I'm a larger grower that's not exempt, if I'm practicing the produce safety rules, um, could I also be considered GAP certified at that point? That's a great question. A lot of people wonder that because they might have been participating in that voluntary GAP system already. The, so the best way to think about it is the FDA produce safety rule 
is a is a baseline. It's sort of a bare minimum for people to do as far as food safety. And most for, for the most part, people who have been doing GAP or doing uh, harmonized GAP um, are going to be in compliance. And harmonized GAP is really meant to be, if you're doing that and you're passing your harmonized GAP audits, you should be in compliance completely with the FDA rule. Uh, GAP, the older version, is, isn't quite that way. There are a few differences, mostly in record keeping and then some in the water testing areas. Um, but again, those are the water testing is being reviewed um, just to make sure USDA and FDA are on the same page. And um, the record keeping requirements, for the most part, people have not too much trouble sort of modifying a few things that they do in order to become FSMA compliant. Great. Well, um, that is all the questions that I have um, regarding, you know, the update on food safety and um, the new farm, farmer regulatory toolkit. Uh, did you have anything else to add, David? No, I think that's all that I was open to touch on. Okay, great. Well, um, the Farmer Regulatory Toolkit, again, is available at the ATRA website. And if you search for food safety, um, you'll come to our food safety page and um, see the toolkit. So you can, as a producer, can um, start using it for your, for your own purposes. Um, well, thanks for helping explain about the toolkit and um, updating us on the uh, produce safety role and um, take care, David. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to ATRA, Voices from the Field. Depending on the platform you're listening on, if you can, be sure to rate us and leave a review or comment. For more information on this topic, you can contact Tammy Howard directly at tammyh at ncat.org. That's T-A-M-M-Y at N-C-A-T dot O-R-G. In the notes below, you'll find links to ATRA resources and publications related to food safety and a link to the Farmer Regulatory Toolkit. Please call ATRA with any and all of your sustainable agriculture questions at 1-800-346-9140 or email us at askanag at ncat.org. That's A-S-K-A-N-A-G at N-C-A-T dot O-R-G. Our two dozen specialists can help you with a vast array of topics, everything from farm planning to pest management, produce to livestock, and soils to aquaculture. You can get in touch with them and find our other extensive and free sustainable agriculture publications, webinars, videos, and other resources at ATRA's website at www.atra.ncat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org. We'll catch you next week, and until then, keep on farming.